Welcome to the One More Rep Podcast, where you take it beyond the barbell. I'm your host, Modingo, and with me with a cold cup of cold brew coffee from a coffee shop we can't mention because they never Sponsors, give us any PR yeah. or love. Ever. Is Bro Sickle. What's up, man? <laughs> why, why am I Bro Sickle? Why not? I don't know. It's, 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 it's springtime. It's starting to warm up a little bit. You know? So Mike was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, so today's episode, we're just going to cut right to the chase. Uh, not a lot of small talk up front, but if you've been following us on social media, uh, you will know that uh, we have had the opportunity today to talk with Michael Fahey, who is the, what, the writer, director, creator, all things of... Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much most of it. Yeah, of West Side versus the world. So if you haven't uh, watched that yet, you need to. Um, but we're just going to talk to him a little bit today about his vision, where it came from, what's it all about. Um, what is so with that being said, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for, uh, first of all, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. We know you got a lot going on, especially with the release of this documentary. So there's probably lots of other things you could be doing in lovely, sunny Florida on a nice day today, but thanks for taking the time to talk to us. So welcome. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hold on a second. Let me figure that out. I don't know. This is our second ever person that <laughs> is not here with us talking. So I tried to tell Mo how to do it, but <laughs> yeah, I don't listen. <laughs> so um, let's just start from the beginning. Like, uh, can you talk a little bit about the film and the process and where it came from and why you decided to do this? Um. Yeah. I mean, I um, I grew up. Uh, Playing sports, of course. I lived in Tallahassee, Florida. That's actually where I am now. Okay. Uh, just recently moved back. Um, but in Florida, I mean, every kid plays sports in particular. Every kid plays football. Um, and a lot of kids uh, run track during the summer. To get ready um, for football. To get ready for football. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much every other sport is just, uh, it, it falls somewhere in the realm of, of GPP for football. Okay. Um, but so. Uh, my dad, who is himself a, a character and a uh, kind of a strange individual, um, <laughs> he got really into bodybuilding um, in the in the eighties and the seventies and eighties. You know, pumping iron comes out, and mm -hmm. like everyone else of his generation, uh, he started lifting weights. Um, he went to Princeton, played football there, continued wow. playing football until he was like thirty-seven. Oh wow. Uh, on a semi pro team. Okay. Uh, so stockbroker by day and then, you know, the market would close and he'd go out. And, so uh, he, he was trading stocks to fund his football habit. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> um, but so he, uh, he started to collect a lot of, uh, equipment and stuff in our garage and kind of turned that into a gym. Um, and then somewhere along the way, he had always had a congenital back problem. Okay. Um, I actually probably have the same thing, though it's never really been an issue. Mm -hmm. um, but that led him to look for for ways to fix his back or to help mitigate some of his back issues. And um, through one one way or another, he heard about the reverse hyper okay. in about 1994. Um, and uh, from there, he, you know, in order to order reverse hyper back then you had to have powerlifting USA. 
So okay. he hears about the reverse hyper. He gets a subscription to powerlifting USA. I, he probably had to go to a bookstore and have them order it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pre-internet days. Yeah. So he gets a year long subscription just so that he can cut out a little, you know, piece of paper in the back to mail in and months later get this machine that he had never seen. Mm-hmm. He just heard um, about it. Yeah. Yeah. He had just heard about it. Heard somebody said that, you know, it's this miracle machine and it fixed this, this bodybuilder's back. So he gets one comes with a little VHS tape. He pops <laughs> the tape in, says how to do it. It's a weird little five, five troll man with a nasally voice. <laughs> says this is strange um he tosses it um (laughs) and uh doesn't think much about it but he still has a year's left subscription of powerlifting usa okay um and he had been used to reading you know bodybuilding magazines and stuff but looking at powerlifting was something new to him um and that idea of like well you just train just to be strong you Mm -hmm. know like the the sort of looks don't don't matter Mm -hmm. um and by then he had kind of realized, you know, he didn't have the genetics for huge biceps or anything. So, you know, he'd been training like a bodybuilder for 20 years and didn't look like a bodybuilder. But he was strong. Uh, yeah. He was. It, yeah, he was. He's kind of strong. I mean, he's strong for a regular person. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that idea of like, well, you know, maybe just training just to put more weight on the bar is is the way to go. Um, and so, of course, he starts reading Powerlifting USA. and every article is pretty much the same. It's, you know, this person's eight week, you know, meat prep, uh, you know, a linear periodization plan. And then this person's 12 week and this person's 16 week. And, mm-hmm. uh, Variations of the same you know, training program, essentially. Yeah. Nine out of 10 articles are the same thing, just written by a different person. And then Louie would have his columns. And so my dad starts reading it and you know, obviously having the background of coming from Princeton and being a, a fairly smart intellectual person, um, to have someone break down, uh, strength training in terms of talking about, you know, the physics of it, the biology of it, the, mm-hmm. you know, mathematical means that, that underlied the system, uh, that really spoke to him. And all of a sudden he just became obsessed with, with West side and the way that they trained. And mm-hmm. of course they're, you know, they're, they'd hint about all the crazy stories and characters and stuff. And, um, but so he goes and he get, he ordered, you know, every book that they had at the time, every video that they had at the time. Mm-hmm. And before you knew it, the reverse hyper and the little old, you know, super old power rack that he had gotten from somebody at a yard sale suddenly that it just his habit exploded and we had at one point two monoliths a belt squat two west side benches two calf ham glute machines um one with a you know a regular one and then they came out with one with a three foot wide toe plate so we had to go get that Mm -hmm. were they a lot cheaper back Uh, then (laughs) um yeah it was i mean it was all a little bit cheaper back then um but uh and all the while he was trying to get me into training and mm-hmm. I was still a young kid and, um, I'd tinker around with stuff, but wasn't doing it regularly. And then, um, I got into throwing shot put, uh, joined this really good track team in the area and I made it to nationals and nationals. This was in 1999 nationals happened to be at, uh, in Cleveland. Okay. So my dad who <laughs> never takes a vacation, 
decide go to Columbus. With, yeah, while you're in the area. Yeah, Cleveland's yeah. in Ohio. Columbus is in Ohio. They got to be right next to each other. So while all the other kids went to the track, we drove two hours down the road to Columbus and we went to Westside. Mm-hmm. And this is when Westside was, you know, not at the location that it's at now. Not that that's the most flattering of locations, but the, the older Westside, the strip mall Westside, um, the Westside that uh, Mark Bell says in the movie looks like a shady strip club mm-hmm. uh, with, with painted black, black windows. windows. Yeah. yeah. The whole place smelled like horse liniment. Um, <laughs> it was loud. It was scary. It was dirty as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and we show up there and uh, my dad was able to, to train with the morning crew for a couple of days that week. And it was by far the weakest person there. But uh, while we were there, he asked Louie, you know, he said, I always read about you doing these seminars, but I can never attend because I'm down in Florida and have to work and I have to look after the animals, the kids and all this. And uh, he says, you know, what if I paid you to come down to Florida to do a seminar at my gym? And Louis said, you know, I don't know if you uh, what kind of language restrictions you all have, but um, <laughs> no, you're good. He said no. <laughs> um, but Dave Tate at the time, Elite FTS had just sort of started. It was in its real fledgling state. Uh, the forums and message boards weren't big yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just basically selling like sleds and a couple other odds and ends pieces of equipment. But Dave said, you know, I, I help Louie with all these seminars. Louie won't travel, but I'll travel. Okay. So my dad convinced Dave to come on down and do a seminar at his gym quotation marks, (laughs) which of course was our two car garage. And there were no members of the gym. It was just my dad. Yeah. It's Um, all about, it's all about branding and marketing. Yeah. So that's when uh, Dave learned about Louis. Louis ben, if he had showed up and it was just two people. Oh, Louis probably would have been happy. He probably would have done it if he had known uh, that it was really? just going to be two people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He'd love that. No people. Yeah. How did just, that, just weights? That'd be awesome. How'd the uh, morning um, crew take your dad in? Did, were they, were they very accepting or how was that? Um, I mean, they were used to, even at that point, they were used to the idea that, people would drop in occasionally. Uh-huh. Um, it certainly wasn't like it is today. Um, and that was that morning crew was, uh, sort of the much more iconic grouping of guys. You know, it was, it was Vogelpohl. He didn't seem happy that anyone was there. Um, but he was injured at the time. Uh, so he just didn't seem happy. I don't think period. Cause he wasn't getting to, to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Dave Tate, I remember was very welcoming, very nice. Um, uh, Louie, Louie seemed excited just that someone, you know, wanted to talk about all the things that I'm sure the rest of the crew was tired of hearing about. <laughs> um, and then there were, there were a couple other people, but, uh, I mean, for the most part, uh, my dad's sort of a, a rough and tumble guy and, uh, they didn't seem too thrilled that like I was there as okay. a 12 year old kid, but, uh, they didn't seem to mind him. Um, and then after they got done, Louie and Dave Tate had me in the parking lot throwing medicine balls and doing knees to feet jumps and stuff. That's and, cool. Um, they actually worked me out so hard, pulling sleds, pushing prowlers. And by the time I was, I was break done there, yeah. yeah, by the time I was done, uh, I threw eight feet shorter than normal. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for track and field nationals. Right. So 
it ruined my meat, but, but uh, it got you a documentary. Looking back, it was all good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, kind of so before, from there, oh. I, I just always had West side, like as part of my life. And it was mm-hmm. always something that I knew Dave Tate came back and actually did three seminars in my dad's gym. The first one, he was freaked out that he realized he didn't ask enough questions mm-hmm. and that it was a garage. Uh, <laughs> but he had sold tickets and sold, you know, registrations to people uh-huh. and people showed up. And so it ended up being profitable and he came back the next year. And then he came back again in 2004 um, before finally elite got so big that, you know, yeah, they didn't need to come down to somebody's <laughs> garage. Yeah. So question, uh, when you're talking about your dad buying all this kit, um, at the time mm-hmm. that you're, the amount of equipment that you're talking your father having in his garage, that's pretty significant. I mean, because probably yeah. some of the, like even the gold gyms or, um, what were the others? What were some of the other gyms back? Jack LaLanne, like all that stuff. They probably didn't have that equipment back then. No, I think we had like the first monolift and uh, definitely the first monolift in like North Florida. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the first in Florida. I think we had the first belt squat in Florida. I think we had the first reverse hyper in Florida. Um, I mean, now I've toured pro facilities for, and I used to work at NFL network and um, I've, I've done stuff with ESPN for college football and stuff. And there are, you know, there are very few pro or top notch collegiate facilities that have the kind of stuff that my dad has. And since then he's upgraded most of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, but then we're talking like now, in the early nineties though, that you, you had all this stuff in your garage at your disposal. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it was, uh, he, looking back, he, he really has no excuses for why he wasn't significantly stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, was it the five, five troll in the video? That was Louie, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the, funny. The five, five troll was Louie. full circle right there. Um, Threw his tape yeah, away. Um, and then next thing you're going to yeah, uh, he, West side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he didn't know, he didn't know what he was missing. And like a lot of people, you know, kind of Louie's presentation and stuff, uh, led him to, you know, dismiss the, right the trove of knowledge that was there. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that works. How's the, um, yeah. how's the, uh, so fast forward to now when someone drops in the West side, how is it now? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, cause I kind of talked to you when we, um, talked last week mm-hmm. or how was it this week? It was this week. Um, yeah. About powerlifting kind of opening its, its doors to new blood and new people is you find it more mm-hmm. accepting now for people to drop in to West side as it, as it's went, you know, from the nineties to now. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it would be a very rare occasion for someone to get assaulted today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but who knows? Like you have to do something yeah. for that to happen. Now. Is that because uh, everybody's filming it now? Um, well, it's, it's a few things. I mean, you have to remember that the, uh, you know, Chuck is there occasionally now. Chuck's there a couple of days a week. Um, most of the old, you know, most of the old timers that kind of the sort of gangster image of Westside was built on, uh, they're no longer in the sport. So most of them are no longer there. Or if they're there, they come by at very odd hours specifically to avoid people. Okay. Um, 
But so most of the people who are there now, they are there because they're from, you know, most of the guys who are there now are from the sort of, you know, the internet generation. They're, they're guys who have only known about West side for maybe a decade. Okay. Um, so you're, it's just been so normalized and you have such turnover that there's very few sort of holdouts from the, the really old secretive generation. It's only really Louie and he uh, just depending on how he feels that day, he's always super polite and, you know, very kind to, to visitors. Mm -hmm, Uh, uh, He's, you know, very rough on the guys who train there. Uh, He's, you know, pretty brutal on the power lifters, but if you're just someone who's coming there to seek knowledge and you're, you know, curious, he really uh, respects that and is very open. So long as, you know, you show sort of respect to the work that the guys in the gym are doing. So, um, so generally if you reach out to them, they'll, they'll try and get you to come usually after the morning crew has come and before the, the sort of evening crew gets in. So usually if, you know, if you give them some heads up, they'll try and steer you into a time when the gym is, you know, open that and not actively in use by their sort of premier guys so that they can really indulge and treat you uh, to all of the, you know, knowledge that Louie has the energy for that day without interfering with any of the work that their guys are trying to put in. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when he was, Early in the film, he was on the massage table Mm -hmm. getting worked on, and he said that he'll never turn anybody away that wants to come. And I thought that was pretty cool because, you know, if you you, you think that's probably, that's a mecca of powerlifting, in essence. It's been around forever, Mm -hmm. and I assume that, you know, like some CrossFit gyms that are in really high tourist area, they have certain guidelines because of the amount of drop-ins that they get because it messes up the norm class. And uh, yeah. so I can imagine that would be pretty challenging being West side and in Columbus. And, you know, there's a lot of events that go on there, but you know, I think that's pretty cool. It doesn't turn anybody away and lets them in because I don't know. I mean, I guess when you get to the end of your life, it's kind of, I mean, he's built an amazing thing and, and uh, to allow people to come in at all times is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that he's really proud of what he's built and he's cognizant of it. You know, he's, he's aware of the fact he's built something in essence that he, I think wishes had existed when he was a kid, Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, you know, um, to further that there, or to sort of further that anecdote of him saying he'll never turn anyone away. There were places in Columbus that when he was young, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't you train. could reach out to him and they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell you what they were doing. They wouldn't train you. They wouldn't do anything. Uh, um, and uh, very early on, he ran into that and was always sort of, you know, he always remembered that and was, you know, sort of resentful of it. And because uh, they turned him away when, when he was a young kid who was not yet strong, mm-hmm. but in his mind, he always knew I'm going to be strong. You know, one day I'm going to be someone that you're going to want to ask a question to Mm -hmm. and you won't help me now, you know, but, you know, he recognizes that there's so many young people out there. There's so many coaches out, you know, even if a guy isn't strong, maybe he's training a kid right now who's going to grow up to be. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's, it's important to help everybody. So you said you went there just, well, your dad kind of forced you to go there for your first visit. Yeah. You're 12 years old and you've since uh-huh. become a power lifter. Obviously you have a passion for this uh, particular form of uh, fitness because you made a documentary on it and um, mm-hmm. which has been identified as the pumping iron for powerlifting. And I would agree with yeah. that. And I'm not even, I'm not in the power. Uh, yeah, I'm not in the powerlifting I'm not world in the powerlifting either. World, and I would say from a third party that I definitely got the same excitement from watching this as I did pumping iron for the first time. Yeah. And um, actually I was ready to, I think I watched it. It was probably about one thirty or two in the morning. And uh, I was ready to go fucking get it in. <laughs> like, you know, I was yeah. ready to start, you know, even the opening scene when he's getting under that first barbell, it was yeah. just, it got me going. So yeah, I w- definitely agree with that. So what kind of impact did that visit at 12 years old have on your future in the powerlifting world or, or did it have an impact? Um, that, that first uh, visit, I mean, I didn't know, uh, you know, just it's sort of being 12, you don't really have, uh, I don't think most people have the sort of like third person kind of perspective and appreciation for those kind of events in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really understand it. Um, I, you know, I just knew that my dad was really excited about it. Um, by the, by the following summer when Dave Tate came down for the first time, I, I now understood when my dad would show me, videos and when he would show me magazines and stuff, I now understood who he was talking about. So it became easier for me to follow. Mm -hmm. So by the time we started having seminars in the garage, uh, I started to get more into it. Um, then, uh, as I entered high school, I started to really lift, um, consistently. And, uh, I actually, uh, you know, none of it was ever for for powerlifting. I've never actually competed in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. You're um, just using it to it augment all, your football. Yeah, it was all to augment football and, and track. And just in general, I like the idea of being strong. Um, and I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm about six, three, two seventy. Um, I've always been big. This is sort of the heaviest I've ever been, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, strength became a real tool for me because I didn't understand. I was not a good football player but you until were I got strong. Okay. Yeah. I got strong. And then suddenly, you know, as I got stronger, I started to get fast. Um, and the combination of being, you know, big, strong, and fast, suddenly football started to make sense. And I started to become confident, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, really. So in that sort of sense, uh, you know, this whole path, not only did Westside, you know, end up leading me back to Westside to, you know, to make a movie, but um, none of what I've done at really any point in my life from when I was maybe 15 or beyond, uh, could I have done without sort of the, the just basic confidence mm-hmm. that lifting gave me. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I wasn't the only kid who lifted, mm-hmm. but, uh, lifting in a smarter means, um, lifting in a means that allowed me to make faster progress and get healthier, lifting in a means that allowed me to not only get bigger and stronger, but again, get faster mm-hmm. as I got bigger and stronger. Um, you know, by the time I was a high school senior, I was 
245 and could run a 4740. Damn. Um, yeah, so I could I could move. I still didn't really have a great grasp of how football really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had but, some inherent tools that were going to probably get you some looks. Uh, yeah, I, I could, I could hold my own with absolutely anybody and playing in for, in Florida and playing in the, the division that I played in high school. I played against, you know, I grew up running track and playing against guys like Ernie Sims, who had a 10 year NFL career and was a number nine overall draft pick, I believe. Uh, Antonio Cromartie. Oh, um, uh, you know these were these were guys that I would I would you know see like every week mm-hmm. on the football field. You know you would just trade off from one eventual college all American to the next one because uh-huh. um, that's what happens in Florida on Friday nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Florida is that football is life. Yeah. So, um. So the confidence to physically hold my own against, you know, really freakish athletes, um, you know, that spilled over into the rest of my life. And, you know, it just down to the very way that I carry myself and, you know, the confidence to do things like this and speak mm-hmm. to people and tell stories and, or have the confidence to do something as absurd as saying, you know, sitting your parents down to say, you know, I don't think I'm going to take that football scholarship. I'm going to go to film school instead. You know, that's, that's not something that, <laughs> that like, a lot, a lot of, of kids. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're, you know, giant and nothing scares you. And it, you know, it, it feels very easy and you don't realize sort of like what it even, it even took to do it until years later. Yeah. As you, you know, start to recognize like that's not normal for most people. What do you think about the the high school strength and conditioning programs in general? Um, from what I've seen, they're generally terrible. Right. Um, you know, there's I've had this conversation with quite a few people over the, especially over the past like uh, you know couple weeks. As sort of, I've I've talked to a few sort of like you know, self-proclaimed West side haters who, um, have talked to me about how I got into the movie and stuff. And, um, I, I said, well, you know, I started training this way when I was young and they say, well, you know, but when you're that young, any program will help you make gains. That's yeah. And I say, you know, well, that's true. Mm-hmm. But for instance, at my school, five kids trained with me, there were, you know, 70 kids on the team. So 65 kids trained at the school and five kids trained with me. When I was a sophomore of those five kids, I was the only kid who was a starter. By the time I was a senior, three of us were starters. Uh, I think the other two kids both ended up on football scholarships. Uh, One of them I know was like all state and went to Clemson and was a big deal. And had I wanted, I could have gone uh, to some smaller schools. Um, but every year when we would get into the season, they would make my little group of, of guys come in and they would test us on the bench press, and the power clean. And they would test us four times a year before the season, after the season, during the spring and during the summer. So we would only lift with the rest of the team during those four days. We made progress absolutely every single time. Mm-hmm. 
one year, my bench went up 30 pounds during the season. <laughs> and the rest of the team. And you guys are playing had, what, 12 games, 10, 12 games, uh, regular season yeah, like, in Florida? Um, I think we played 11 games that okay. year. Because so we had, we would always have a game canceled because of a hurricane. So every Friday you're <laughs> um, shooting up, going out there, playing a game. And then on, on mm-hmm. top of that, getting gains throughout that season. Yeah. That's unheard and of. And the season and the season in which I my bench went up 30 pounds, I got a wasting disease that season. So I actually lost 30 pounds of body weight mm. during the season. I started the season at 225 with a 265 bench and 3 weeks into the season I was 185 um and like passing out every day in class because I was so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, I was back up to about 190. Um, and when we came back a week after the season ended, I benched 295, I think. Um, which led to a kid, one kid throwing a fit and saying, you know, like, well, I don't understand. Those kids all got stronger and the rest of us all got weaker. Right. Um, and then that kid said, you know, like, why can't we all go train with him? <laughs> uh, I'm, right. I'm sure your coaches love hearing I said, that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I said, like, dude, we'll bring in our equipment. You know, we'll bring in the mono. We had two of them. I was like, we'll bring the monoliths. Like, we'll bring the reverse hypers. I'll show you how, you know, I, they ended up having me bring in, like, the book of methods. And I tried to lay out our whole program on a chalkboard to them. And It's annoying um, to me. What do you think is the hold holdup of these, especially high school programs? Like, why are they so resistant to having someone come in and make their fucking kids better? Like, why are they so against it? Uh, from my experience and my personal experience, um, again, because my dad was the one who was coaching me mm-hmm. in the weight room. Um, and my dad, he did a lot of intellectual legwork. You know, he, he, he read and he watched videos and he would call Louie like, you know, at least once or twice, a, you know, a month and have these long conversations with him. And uh, he himself was lifting. Uh, and then my high school coaches at the time, you know, they would maybe come in and do a bench press set right. every couple of weeks. You know, they would come in and they would show off like, hey, I can out bench everyone on JV, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they wouldn't do that with, you know, me around. Um, but they would they would, you know, they would only they would do they didn't do anything themselves. But uh, we had one one coach who had been a, a, a college, uh, I think he was an all American in college. He played a couple seasons in the pros. Um, and he would, he would like most coaches say, well, when I was a kid, this is what we did. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, so there's that, there's the that amount thinking. of that. Yeah. That legacy thinking. And it's, it's in everything, you know, you hear older people, uh, you know, even Louie does this constantly, you know, talking about like, well, kids these days and, well, when I, we did it this way. And so, you know, and just this sort of resistance to the idea that like, you know, evolution. Yeah. Human evolution, societal evolution, it, it happens for a reason because there's, there's better ways of doing things. Right. And it's okay to say, you know what? We probably didn't do things optimally back then. There's probably a more optimal way now. Um, And then the other thing is, you know, my coaches, they recognize that like my dad had played college football and so they were afraid that if they turn over 
you know, a little bit of control. Yeah. They would lose it all. Then it would turn, you know, if there's any success, it'll turn into more control. Yeah. You know, how long before he's wanting to coach the offensive line and how long before he's wanting to be a coordinator, hmm. you know? So everyone's going, you know, Oh, my job, you know, could be in the way. Yeah. Fuck the kids and making them better. And, and the potential of success. I'm worried about my, you know, thousand dollars <laughs> I make in a season. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. So go right. back to and something. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, you can. I'll talk forever if you don't cut me off. Going back to something that bro talked about that opening scene, how he was about to go down and start working out at one o'clock in the morning. I think you did an amazing job in that first like five minutes of just kicking everybody in the chest and letting everybody know Mm -hmm. what the rest of this documentary was going to be about. So excellent job on there in terms of the cinematography, even the music and all that stuff, just getting everybody set up. So I would say lack there of music because I like the raw was that at the was that opening scene at the Arnold? No, the opening scene was at um, APF Nationals uh, in Jacksonville. Okay, I wonder because you know I guess all convention centers probably look the fucking same, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was cool just hearing the raw noise. I think that's to me the ambience of powerlifting. You know, the guys getting psyched mm-hmm. up and the 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 buzz in the background because some dude's about to get under a thousand pounds is pretty cool. So. As far as all that, setting that up, giving everybody an idea of what's coming, tell us, like, where did this whole idea of this documentary come from? Um, well, so like I said, you know, I, I grew up training that way for football. Um, and none of the kids who trained with me did powerlifting. There was one kid who, when I was in college, uh, would drive in from Southern Georgia and train with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had uh, he had a raw a raw bench uh, world record in some federation for like a teenage world record. Um, he, he benched five something as like a fifteen or sixteen year old. Um, That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's decent. He was he he was I mean he was big. He was he was probably close to three hundred pounds, maybe a little more. But um, really short arms. He was very. No, he was a, he was on like an offensive tackle. So he was like six, seven. Uh, yeah, he was, he was a monster, but, um, he was not built to power lift at all. (laughs) Um, but, uh, uh, and then I had another training partner who was a, a terrible football player, uh, just unathletic kid, but, uh, at 190 and 15, he squatted like 650 raw. Um, so this is the early 2000s. And of course, like raw lifting didn't exist yet, really. Is, is this uh, all the, thing from the sunlight did. that you guys get in Florida? Is that what this is all about? <laughs> extra vitamin yeah, D. Yeah, this is. Extra vitamin this D. Is, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they've been yeah, telling me like, it's chicken and, breast this whole time, man. I don't know. <laughs> I've been pounding chicken breast for years and it's just sunlight. That's it. It, well, you got to fry the chicken ah. and you got to have, you got to have lots of macaroni on the side and, you know, more, more, more everything in cheese. Yeah. Listen to really aggressive rap music. Um, and it's gotta be, you have to be sweating at all times. Oh, right. maybe that's I told the, you, maybe I should be a power lifter. I, I like, I like rap and make, I sweat a lot. You're going to make Mo quit doing CrossFit. He's going to turn to a power yeah. lifter. Thank Mo. You don't have to do yeah. another damn pull up again. Nope. Ever. Ever. Yeah. And you have to live in a place where like, you know, at all times you're in danger from your environment. <laughs> hey, Louis says, says you're in dangerous. Pro- 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Louis always says go to dangerous places and uh hmm. yeah, I'll so live in a swamp that. where yeah. Yeah, yeah, gators, yeah. Gators, tornadoes, <laughs> wildfires started by lightning, uh hurricanes. Yeah. Yeah, it's why snakes all everywhere. Line. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> snakes, scorpions, mosquitoes, just various viruses and <laughs> things in the air. Um meth, bath salt. <laughs> we got meth here. Yeah. 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 And then lots of guns, like just okay. lying on the streets. Uh and just wild ass kids. So um, you're definitely not visiting this guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. but, uh, so you're you're you start you you have the idea for the film, you begin filming. Like how do you even get the idea to go talk to Louie about this. Well, how did you get Louie yeah, convinced? Because yeah, me and bro were talking yesterday and we were like, how in the hell did he even get Louie to agree to this? Well, I never, I don't know much about Louie. And so whatever I, you know, you hear, but um, to see that side, I seen two sides of Louie. I seen the coach and, I, and then I seen the person in that. Uh-huh. And the person reminds me of someone, my dad's around his age. Um, te- uh-huh. Technology you know, they just got the <laughs> first, they just got their first iPhone at 70. And, uh, so how did you convince him to let something he hates being in there to be in there and capture all this? Um, it took a long ass time. It took, uh, <laughs> first off, first off, uh, so in 2012 to go back to all of it, you know, you ask, how did it start in 2012? I was living in LA. Um, I was working on a bunch of reality shows and I was, uh, I was just fed up with, with that. I, you know, the, the work was really fun. I traveled the country going from like restaurant to restaurant shooting food shows. Um, but, uh, I was really frustrated with like the lack of progression, um, in, you know, in my career. And, uh, I was trying to move up to a position where I had more sort of creative control. And I worked with a girl who a year or two prior had faced the same basic obstacle as me. And she was, she was the person that I'd now reported to. And she was only like a year and a half older than me. And I said, you know, you're so much younger than everyone else. How did you, how'd you get to where you're at? And she said, Oh, well, I was where you are. And they told me they wouldn't hire me to be a producer until I produced something. And, you know, it, a very common sort of conundrum across a lot of life, mm-hmm. you know, people go, well, you know, I know how do that I you get can experience do if you won't give me experience. Yeah. And people will look at you and go like, you have the skill set. I know that you have the skill. I know that you're <laughs> capable, but well, you haven't done it. Yeah. And so I'm not going to give you an opportunity to do what I know that you can do because you haven't already done it. <laughs> and everyone tells you that. And so she said, well, what I did was I, uh, she happened to know someone who was doing Miss Wheelchair America and she, she formatted this whole documentary around Miss Wheelchair America and she whipped it together real fast and she came back and then applied, you know, she showed basically everyone at the production company said here and handed them a DVD and said, I produced something. Mm-hmm. And they looked at it and said, wow, this is amazing. You know, like, you know, uh, yeah, you're, you're a producer now. <laughs> wow. And Boom. so I said, okay, easy? so I yeah. just have to go make a movie. All right. Fair. Um, 
And right around that time, maybe a couple weeks later, someone who I worked with on the movie Forks Over Knives, which was a plant-based sort of vegan film, um, you know, the furthest other end of the spectrum, <laughs> this woman who had been a, a co-producer on that, she calls me up and she says, hey, I just uh, got a job as a reality uh, development executive at this big reality company. So she said, you know, I just left a meeting with like Spike or somebody else. And they were saying that they were really looking for men's reality content. That was the big thing at the time was, you know, how we got to find something tough, something manly. And so working on the vegan documentary when I was I was an editor and I was like 22, which with no experience, it was an insane sort of opportunity that like fell into my lap mm. um, simply because people kept quitting. So I, I was an intern, then they hired me as a PA, then everyone between me at the bottom and the top, everyone just kept quitting. Hmm. So every time someone would quit, they would say like, okay, well, Michael, can you fill in for them while we try and find a replacement before they could find a replacement for one person, another person would quit. And there was only like six people on the movie. So eventually it became like me and the guy who was funding the movie. And I was the final editor for the last like eight to 10 months. So I edit the movie, but along the way, uh, I would always wear like a West side hoodie. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually somebody asked like, why does that dog have balls on it? <laughs> I think that's and a so fair I'd question. Them and, yeah. Cause all they saw was my back, you know, and it's the hoodie. So they don't really see the front. Um, they just see the giant rear end of nitro, the dog. Mm -hmm. um, but so they, that, led to you know well what is that like why what's the reason why there's a dog lifting weights and has massive balls <laughs> so i try and explain to them in short like oh it's this gym in columbus and uh you know it's run by this crazy old guy and it's sort of like a cult or a biker gang sounds like crossfit you know yeah a little <laughs> no um uh so and I was telling like a room full of vegans and I, you know, ended up telling this girl who was, she was like 20 in her, you know, late twenties at the time. And she'd never played an organized sport, never gone to a gym. Um, she had just started doing like yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was, that was the extent of her physical, uh, sort of history was a couple classes of yoga. Uh, and she was from Steamy Valley out in California. So just the furthest, person from powerlifting, you know, a, a hardcore powerlifter. Yeah. yeah. And then three years later, she gets a job as a reality development executive. And she says, I was in a meeting and suddenly that story came back to me. And I thought that would make a perfect, uh, a perfect manly reality show. And I laughed and was like, well, I don't think there's any way they would do it. Um, but she said, well, you know, I'll pay you just to sort of set it up. And I thought about it and eventually said like, no, you know, if I were to ever do something like that, because I'd worked in reality TV before I knew that that definitely was something that Westside would not want to do. Mm. And uh, if I approached them with that, I could make the paycheck for setting it up. Mm. Uh, I could pay rent for two or three months, but um, it would never go anywhere. Yeah. So it would just be a bridge burnt. But coming away from that meeting, though, I, I was really like convinced of two things. And one was that uh, 
this was a woman who her whole job, she was older than me. She'd worked in LA longer than me. She'd grown up around the industry. Her whole job was to find stories that were marketable. Mm-hmm. And she picked yours out of a myriad. And that she, she picked heard, mine. You know? Yeah. And so that told me two things. Like number one, the story of West Side was marketable. Mm-hmm. This was the furthest person, you know, furthest from what you would expect a fan of West Side to be. Yeah. And then number two, I had told her that story three years earlier as a 22 year old. And she remembered it. And she remembered it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is again, this is a woman who her whole job is that dozens of people, literally dozens every week come into her office and try and pitch a story to her. And that's what those people's jobs are. So I was going, you know, like, okay, so I can do this. I can tell this story and this story is good enough to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just thought, well, now I just have to, you know, find a whole bunch of money and <laughs> time and resource and convince Louie, which is the thing that I said couldn't be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I looked into it and as I looked into it, that's when uh, I got hooked up with Jim McDonald and, um, Jim McD from the, the power cast back in the day. And, um, so I started talking to him and found out that like super training had tried to do a reality show before hadn't really worked. And then he told me how like raw lifting had become the big thing and how, you know, I had figured that, you know, as powerlifting had gotten popular because I hadn't paid attention to it. I hadn't lifted basically since 2005 and this was now like 2012. Mm-hmm. So a big change um, in powerlifting. Yeah. Big change in powerlifting. Suddenly it was like a popular sport that people knew about. Uh, and I thought like, cool, it got popular. Surely everyone loves West side then. And it, I found out, no, everyone hated West side. And they, they all said, well, it doesn't work if you don't use gear and it doesn't work if you're raw. And I was like, I wait a second. I did it with like 160 pound sprinters and football players. Nobody mm-hmm. had gear. And it worked and everyone got strong. And I was like, I've seen it work. And then I, I started to see the stuff that people said about it. And uh, I, I just saw like, no one understood that. No one understood the method and no one understood the basic history of the gym. So I was like, cause the gym's existed since before, you know, Louie's been doing this since long before gear was ever invented. Mm-hmm. Like how, you know, how do you say it works? It's built for gear when gear was not a thing when it was started. You know mm-hmm. how it is, man. You get something that's legit and everybody's trying to tear it down because they're, yeah. you know, that's just, that's just people's, instead of like engrossing themselves in it and learning about it, sort of like how, um, I guess you would say Louie did with the Russian manuals. Um, <coughs> instead of engrossing, they just sit there and they, yeah. they hate on it. Yeah. And, and at the time that was like a probably huge controversy for him to even consider researching or even adopting some of the methods from the Eastern Bloc countries. Cause we're in the middle of the cold war yeah. and all this is happening. Yeah. It just shows um, how ignorant people are. And, and first thing they'll do is they turn to, to hate and, it, and that's in every, that's in CrossFit and Olympic that's in lifting. Li- yeah, that's a life. life it's yeah. A bunch of, that's a really yeah. good point though. I mean, just to think that, um, societally, like a lot of times people will just outwardly just the first, you know, thing they want to do is disagree with something because it's different or it's new or it's strange or whatever. The crab effect. Yeah. The crab, yeah, the crab yeah. mentality, you know, all the crabs in the pot, just pulling everybody else down instead of trying to build each other up. And to me, when that happens, that just tells me what I'm doing, I'm on the right track because, 
you know, if there's this it's many this many people talking shit about it, they're they're mad because either a they're not doing it or b they didn't think of it. Yeah, well, it, so this is the thing that I like to talk about whenever there's an opportunity. Um, it's it's sort of a larger point um, that I I try to make within my work and that I complain about a lot. Um, but yeah, you, 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 you hear, you know, throughout the course of making the documentary, people kept saying over and over again, you know, Oh, opinions are like assholes, you know, everyone's got one. And, mm-hmm. um, I actually like strongly disagree with that. Uh, most people, what I found is that most people don't have opinions in order to have an opinion, you first have to know what it is that you're talking about. Right. You know, an opinion, an opinion's like a theory. Um, but most people, they, they have these things that they regurgitate and they say, but they, they lack the basic experience or mm-hmm. the basic, uh, you know, fundamental curiosity or, or, you know, knowledge, yeah. knowledge. Yeah. If I asked you your, opinion on say a band you had never heard of you would not give me an opinion and if i said why you would say like because i've never heard of them period how could i have an opinion on something i know absolutely nothing about um but when you when you see this happen where everyone has you know their so-called opinion on something like west side and then you see that no one knows what it even is mm-hmm. but, um you know but and, they have something you to say like, about you it. Don't, you know? Yeah. And I go like, you don't have an opinion on it. So whose opinion do you have? Because you've just, you've just blindly adopted someone else's methodology you know, opinion or, or reaction yeah. to it. Yeah. And you're not sure if that person had an opinion either. Um, no, I totally agree. Yeah, That'd be like them saying, I'd just be, there's a delay. Sorry, but, you know, the music thing, if you ask someone about this band and they just disagreed with, you know, liking the band because it's not part of their genre and they don't listen to it. So mm-hmm. it's like, then it's just an assumption. Right. Now, it's now, never, it's a, it's yeah, an now it's an assumption that you ain't, you're not going to like this, but there's music that people share with me that hell I would have never listened to. But once I did, I was like, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. it's definitely easy to, you know, push aside something hell it's happened here from people from other gym you know uh, uh people come from other gyms to our gym and they're like uh you're crazy you know the programming is really challenging you know all they don't care about people's technique and they just want to hurt people because it's so challenging you know it's just they've never even stepped mm-hmm. foot in my gym they don't even know what we do they see our people get, right they get they see our people get strong they see some of the workouts that we do and based off of the most limited information they start saying this stuff that they're completely clueless about when we're technique before load. We're very critical in that. And yeah, our, our program is challenging, but we're, we're scalable to the, you know, highest degree of a 66 year old double knee replacement. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, they have no idea, but they, they formulate these opinions because they aren't progressing like all of our people are. It's just fucking annoying. Yeah. So I'm with you on your rant, bro. Anytime you want to rant about that, hit me up. <laughs> we can talk for hours on that stuff. So you, yeah. you, you mentioned earlier about powerlifting becoming more mainstream. Um, mm-hmm. But even though it's gaining popularity with the different federations, 
I still feel that like it's not widely um, accepted, adopted, known about, but within, I, you know, I, I would argue that within the past few years, it's definitely become more popular. What mm-hmm. do you think it's going to take for powerlifting to reach that next, that next level? And do they want to? Um, I guess two things. Uh, I sort of, first off, fundamentally disagree. Okay. Uh, and the whole movie is testament to that. Um, you know, right now we are the number seven all time selling, uh, documentary sports documentary on iTunes. We've that, been out. Yeah, that's pretty 10 awesome, days. man. Congratulations on that. Yeah. We've been out for 10 days. Uh, CrossFit has six documentaries, six documentaries that they've had, uh, theatrically distributed. Um, we have the same distributor. So pretty even, pretty even playing field on that. Of those six, only Froning has outsold us. All of those movies have been out at least a year. Right. Um, you haven't even hit two weeks. Right. <laughs> and where, you know, and Froning is number five. Well, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to pass Froning. Um, Coming for you, Rich. That's not. Huh? Coming for yeah. you, Rich. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's not possible if the sport is as small and as far from mainstream as people say. Okay. It, it's one of, uh, I, I know that I said this to one of you all this week, but powerlifting, if you look at sports, um, uh, you know, worldwide or especially in America, football might be the most watched sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but powerlifting and CrossFit are in the top four of most widely participated in sports. Mm-hmm. More people participate in the sport on, you know, on a competition level, more people participate in the sport than any other sport outside of maybe cross. Well, even CrossFit, I don't know how many, how many competitive CrossFit athletes there are. Mm-hmm. There are probably slightly more CrossFit uh, participants as far as people training CrossFit. Um, there's probably more than there are powerlifting, but it's not by a wide margin. Mm-hmm. But there's more people. I mean, down here in Tallahassee, we've got five powerlifting gyms. Mm-hmm. And each one has at least 40 or 50 members. So you add that up. You know, there's there's probably a thousand people actively following a powerlifting just you know, in your area regiment, just in our area. And this is an area where when I was a kid, I was like the only one doing it. You think and that's I, because you know, of the football presence? Um, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with football. I also think that it has a lot to do with um uh, I tried to say this the other day and over the phone, a lot of that has to do with, with CrossFit, um, CrossFit getting on television. Um, the, the simplest aspect of CrossFit is the power lifts. Right. Their powerlifting is a, is an absurdly simple sport. It has a very low ben- barrier to entry. Um, strength, just raw, absolute strength is, on the hierarchy of skills, it's a very low, uh, 
low skill in, in terms of, um, you know, to have really elite hand-eye coordination, you have to work on that when you're very young. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to see very much adaptation at it. You know, a, a, a 15-year-old is going to be much quicker to adapt sort of that kind of quickness than a 30-year-old. 30-year-old is going to have virtually no real improvement um, or any improvement that they have is going to be marginal, is going to take forever. But yet something like strength, you can build up strength for decades relatively easily. Easily. Mm-hmm. So it's a sport where it's, it's very easy for people to get better uh, at a noticeable progression for a very long time at almost any point in their life. Um, and it's, it's now a sport with between CrossFit and then uh, raw powerlifting becoming popular in the last decade. Uh, the sort of rebranding of powerlifting that's taken place, you know, that now you don't, you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to be a competitive powerlifter, you were getting into gear, mm. you know, because that's what the competitions were. They were all geared. So you had to, you know, there was this added element, and this added expense that made the sport more daunting to enter. Nowadays, you can try it out. You know, you can go go to 24 hour fitness, go to an LA fitness, go to pretty much any gym. You can go to, you know, there's plenty of CrossFit boxes that have competitive power lifters, you know, who, and you know, tons of people who, you know, muscle ups and Olympic lifts and the sort of more gymnastic elements are really hard. And the sort of more endurance based elements are just a little more sort of painful. Right. Uh, but the, but the just pure getting stronger is you know relatively easy you hold your breath and exert yourself for a few <laughs> seconds it's it's a relative it's a very easy accessible sport now uh-huh. maybe um, it should be rewarded then because from you know like i said we're not connected to powerlifting and i've told you on the right. phone i'm i love all forms of fitness and so maybe yeah. maybe from us it doesn't look like it's to me it looks like strongman in general has been given more media coverage and things like that over the last couple of years rather than powerlifting. Mm-hmm. So my comparison is yeah. that where maybe it is growing within that community that we're just unaware of, but mm-hmm. from our, it's, yeah, powerlifting is growing all around you all the time. Strongman, nobody does strongman get it. And you know, it feels like it's bigger than ever. Right. Yeah. But you have to be like, you know, you need to be at least, you know, six, four, the 1% of the one think about doing it. Yeah. You need to be in the top 1% of height and then you need to be in the top 1% of weight on top of that. So yeah, 1% of 1%. There's like 20 people who are good at it on earth. (laughs) Right. Um, But it seems so much fucking bigger, right? It, it seems so much bigger. uh, And that almost entirely can be chalked up to, the media structures around it, mm-hmm. which are entirely uh, basically a result of the people who organize the sport. Okay. Now, because it's so small, it's, it, there's actually a competitive advantage to if you have one smart person organizing that sport, no one's going to screw it up because it's so small that only a few people really run it. 
so one smart person makes a much bigger impact. Powerlifting is fractured and it's splintered and it's all over the place. Um, and there's a lot of, for some reason, there's a lot of shady people in powerlifting. Um, there's a lot of powerlifting. I equate to like, uh, also being in Florida before I got into filmmaking, I made beats and I, I worked with a lot of rappers and I made music videos. Um, and powerlifting structurally, I equate to like really bad rap promoters <laughs> where it's just, no, it's I, I totally people understand who what just, you're saying now that it makes perfect yeah, sense to they me. They just, yeah. they don't know, you know, cause really bad rap promoters. What do they do? They, they'll host an open mic night and they'll charge 10 or 15 people to get on stage mm-hmm. at the concert. And they're, how they make money is they charge people to get on stage. Uh-huh. Well, you only have so much stage time. So squeezing your artists uh, is just going to end up with an empty crowd and then the venue's upset and you never get your venue back. Okay. So you never really, you know, the key is you need to stuff the venue. You need to put on a show. Uh, World's Strongest Man, they figured out how to put on a show. Right. And all powerlifting has been missing is that. But I'm working on some things with that. Because if you think about it, the root of Strongman, what the fuck do they train? Well, well, yeah, the root of Strongman is a a whole lot of powerlifting. I mean, that's literally sort of more specific than that. It's a whole lot of West Side. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it power or Strongman. And CrossFit are both just different variations of competitive conjugate setups. Do you think that, in in essence, you guys as a, as a strongman community, not strongman, I'm sorry, powerlifting community, mm-hmm. you're just missing a, someone as a leadership as sort of like Glassman is for like CrossFit HQ, where there's a directive, even though I don't always agree with it, at least it's uniformed across the entire board to where you said uh, powerlifting splintered. Is that what they're missing? <clears throat> um, yeah, pretty much. And the, the really shameful thing is that there is an organization within powerlifting that does have the scale uh, and the reach that if they had the actual intention, they could do a lot more with the sport than they've done. But instead, they choose to continue just collecting, you know, million, tens of millions of dollars in meat fees annually. Mm -hmm. And they sit on all that money. And I'm sure they all have very nice houses and very nice cars, (laughs) Uh, but they do nothing for the actual sport other than denigrate other federations to continue lining their own pockets. Yeah. I bitch about, well, we bitch about HQ a lot and I guess so, Uh you know, it's maybe, maybe we shouldn't as much in the fact that, you know, it could be splintered and CrossFit could still be where it was. But mm-hmm. I guess since we have it, we can bitch about it. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say, you know, again, it's nothing is. There's this idea that I think about a lot. Um, and it's that idea of. Uh, of sort of, again, optimal and evolution. Um, you know, no matter how well you do something, there's always a better way. Yep. 
even if no one's ever, you know, even if no one has figured it out, there always exists a better way. You never find perfection. Um, and within that, even if a way worked, you know, or has worked or has led you to the, the same sort of concepts of, you know, there are business models that will get you from point A to point B, but they won't get you from B to C. You know, they will get you success all the way up to a point and then they have to change. Mm -hmm. um, strength. Yeah. Just like strength, you know, there are, um, nothing is constant and nothing is, uh, nothing is in just indefinitely sustainable. Um, so I don't know about enough about CrossFit really. Uh, but I do know that CrossFit has done a number of things that I think that powerlifting could benefit from greatly. Um, there are, there's a number of things that CrossFit has done that I can tell you, like from a business perspective, I have copied mm -hmm. and, you know, mimicked and, and putting into play on multiple projects at the moment. Um, but I think that that's in the same way that Louis looked at, you know, East German shot putters and Soviet track athletes and, uh, Bulgarian weightlifters. And he said, all these concepts work for producing force from different postures in different time restraints. That means they'll work in powerlifting. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter that someone hadn't done it yet over there. Um, I think that powerlifting has largely been held back because powerlifters look at what powerlifters have done mm. and not now looking right. outside look at of what, their own ecosystem. Yeah. Look at what X games has done. Look at what, you know, there's a, there's a sport that's already in the Olympics. Crazy. That didn't, did not exist 15 years ago, you yeah. know? Yeah. 30 years ago, it was not a thing, you and, know? And when uh, it was it, when it came out, it was, people were talking so much shit about X games and how small it was. And like, mm -hmm. it literally, it, it just, they were just actually, they're having some fun. Now it is crazy that it's, it's in the sports of the, of the Olympics. Yep. And it took them less than two years to get into the Olympics because uh, that's how long it takes to get in the Olympics is on average less than two years. It does not take 43 years to get in the Olympics <laughs> and anyone who has been collecting your meat fees and telling you that they've been lobbying the, the IOC for 43 years and that they're going to be the ones to get the sport into the IOC for 43 years. And they've never once made the short list. They're lying to you and they're stealing your money. So is it going to take a federation um, to start up in powerlifting something specific? that possibly a bunch of people get behind in one direction and then become unified under that? Um, I don't know that it'll ever, what powerlifting really needs. Um, and this is, and again, this is a thing that CrossFit did well. Uh, CrossFit simultaneously CrossFit was a new sport and you know, as a new sport, you need to build a brand. You need to build recognition and you need to build basic education of your sport. CrossFit took a multi-pronged approach to create an entire business structure that simultaneously educated the public about their sport, what it was. You know, they turned it into a program to, to train, you know, that you 
it, CrossFit became a thing that you did. You know, no one became no, a verb. It, but then, yeah. yeah, but then simultaneously, it was also a sport. Oh. You know, it was it became a competitive show, and it created a funnel to get people from from the amateur end of it to the sort of professional end of it. And it really did a great job of glorifying its, its sort of professional class of athletes and creating, uh, you know, sort of heroes within the sport. Powerlifting, on the other hand, you have, you know, you have a guy squatting 315 and a guy squatting 1273 <laughs> on the same day in the same rack. Yeah. And it's a it's a cool experience. It's a cool thing that like they offer that the guy who's squatting 315 can potentially end up on the same stage. Uh-huh. But look at big sports across the across the world. Again, I like to use football because that's what I'm familiar with. Yeah. I was really good on Friday. I had a couple invitations to play on Saturday. Yeah. There's almost no way in hell I would have ever gotten the invitation to play on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So since I didn't really get to play on Saturday, I sat in the stands. Okay. I don't get to play on Sunday, you know, and the guys who don't go on to play on Sunday, they watch on TV. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't let, you know, they don't let you line up on the same field as Tom Brady unless mm-hmm. you've earned the right to be there through your performance. Mm-hmm. They create a stage for the pro levels mm-hmm. and everyone else gets to watch. Powerlifting has never created that stage for a pro class. Okay. They've always just said, well, we're a niche sport. No one cares. You can't make money doing this. Guess what? I've been making money the last two weeks. <laughs> you, can, you can make money through this sport. It's not, I'm not, I'm not special in any regard. I, now I put in four years of not making any money uh-huh. to do it. Um, uh-huh. Like a lot of, you know, that's how a lot of businesses work. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, I'm not going to be a millionaire off of it, but like that's, you know, that's a kid who's done most of his work off of his fucking phone. Yeah. You know, no advertising budgets or anything. There's a way to do it. CrossFit, 15 years ago, it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's a sport that entirely was made up. And yet they found a way to simultaneously build a market, mm-hmm. educate people. On top of that, the brilliance of being able to make money off of educating those people yeah. about, you know, the NFL doesn't make money for you learning about football. No, they make money and by you then watching, watching yeah. it. They make the money from you watching the game. They don't make money for you going out and learning how to play football. Yeah. CrossFit found out how to make money on both sides of it and create a sustainable structure uh to do that with a sport that I mean in powerlifting they say, well you have to, you know, you'd have to educate people on what a squat, a bench press and a deadlift are. And then if they're wearing gear and what kind of gear, and it's like, think about baseball. Baseball is the weirdest damn sport. You know, the fields aren't even like uniform, yeah. like all <laughs> baseball is nonsense. You're keeping track, you know, it's, Oh, you have to keep track of all the lifts and the attempts. 
like you have to keep track of the innings, the lifts, the errors, the oh. outs, the balls, the strikes, the pitch cap. Like there's so much there's going data, on yeah. the batting orders. Yeah, it's insane. But but, but we've been playing that for a hundred years. Yeah, for like a hundred and fifty years, yeah. it's it's been America's pastime. There's no. It's a lack of creativity and it's a lack of basic, uh, you know, and as I complain about all this, I'm only able to have this successful documentary because there has been this void. Uh-huh. Uh, I, uh, I own a CrossFit gym and I talk shit about it all the time. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, just, I think, but, uh, I think just because something's going doesn't mean you always agree with the direction. Just how I run our gym doesn't mean you have to agree with the direction, but you also don't have to be a part of it. Sort of like Westside. If you don't like yeah. how shit's done at Westside, well, guess what? You don't have to fucking be there. It's, you know, it's just, it's our direction. We have a, we try to keep everybody in the loop and uh, very vocal about that. But, you know, people know the direction that we are at. And either you want to be with us or you don't. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not trusted access to the world, but, you know, fuck it. Like, you know, I, this is our direction. Thank you for listening to the One More Rep Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at One More Rep Podcast or on Twitter at Can I Get One More or shoot us an email at Can I Get One More at gmail.com.